I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this is a new week, which means what? It means that we have a new guest. That's right. At, least, we get, at least I get one question <laughs> right a week. Yeah. Thanks. Being, you're sharper at the beginning of the week, evidently. Yeah, I'm glad you, glad you lowered yeah. the bar there for me. Ladies Thank and gentlemen, it's, back to, it's great to be back with you for another week. We have not just any guests. We have Pastor Charles Cooper, who is the director of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute, and a very mm-hmm. able spokesman of the yeah. pre-wrath prophecy position. Besides being one of our one of the best scholars in that in that whole school of thought, he also has a great radio voice. Yes, and he's just a great scholar, period, mm-hmm. and a great new friend of our show. Mm-hmm. We think you're going to enjoy this week and give you a lot of food for thought. At least begin to start your thinking in this area. And we're going to talk about biblical evidence of the church's exposure to the Antichrist persecution and the proper response of faith. And we don't have much time to think, so we need to go right to him. Let's go. Okay, enjoy, Pastor Cooper. We'll be right back to wrap it up on Future Quake. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And we have a new guest with us this week, mm-hmm. uh, a fabulous guest that we've been waiting for for some time. Yeah. And it's just a real honor to be able to have someone of his uh, prestige on our show. Yeah, great books, we, great, great stuff. That's what we've got Pastor Charles Cooper, who is the director of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute. And uh, today we're going to talk about biblical evidence of the church's exposure to the Antichrist persecution and the proper response of faith. And, uh, Pastor Cooper, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Future Quake Show. I am delighted, and thank both of you for the opportunity. Well, we thank have mentioned you. to our guests recently about uh, our uh, our recent technical problems, and we, we ran you through a gauntlet of difficulty. Uh, and I just want to say on air to our listeners, thank you so much yeah. for uh, sticking with us as a, as a new experience for you with us. And uh, we appreciate your commitment of time to uh, help us get some kinks ironed out here mm-hmm. and uh, have what I, what I think was going to be a very instructive show for yeah. everyone, including us. In uh, a very fascinating discussion. Uh, to, to, to begin our uh, our interview and our, our discussion today, can you very briefly share with us a little bit about your background and how you came to your current position and your current calling in ministry? I started preaching when I was uh, 15 years old. Uh, preached my first sermon. I remember it well. A Sunday evening back in March, and uh, my first sermon. The title was uh, "Clean Up, Jesus is Coming." And uh, I remember preaching, uh, audience was over a thousand, it was uh, quite uh, uh, intimidating for that little 15 year old boy standing up there preaching. But uh, after my 25 minute sermon, the invitation was given, two people responded and gotten gotten saved. And little did I know that uh, preaching about the Lord's return um, and evangelism would be the hallmarks of my life now 35 years ago. Uh, after, of course, uh, growing up uh, in Arkansas, uh, at age uh, 17, I became, I became a pastor of a church uh, while I was still in high school. And, of course, that was interesting. Um, 
getting permission from the principal to leave school to go to a funeral and then getting a wow. note from the deacon, from the deacon to go back. Uh, from from wow. there to uh, to Bible college, from there to seminary, from there to teaching uh, Bible college, uh, and then of course uh, spending the last uh, 15 years uh, writing and researching on the uh, return of Christ, um, fell into it quite by uh, in some sense accident. I had really planned to spend 15 years studying this this one subject, but became fascinated because of a a little technical difficulty that I came across when studying the pre-trib position when I was a student at Dallas Seminary that I had planned to look at in detail if I ever had the time. And someone, in fact, studied that particular issue and their conclusion caused me to change my position, and uh, the rest is history. Now, if I understand correctly, and we're going to talk more about... uh uh, the, the details of the pre-wrath uh, model uh, subsequently, but but based upon your conviction that there was an alternative that you felt more viable with Scripture to the pre-trib position uh, caused you a, a good bit of turmoil in your career, correct? I mean, you've made some sacrifices on the basis of the commitment and the decision you made, correct? Probably more so than most people would. I think primarily the fact that I was teaching at uh, Premier Bible College and uh, was uh, becoming well-known in circles uh, of influence uh, probably produced more uh, problems for me than it would produce for most, but it's been an enjoyable journey. What I find interesting about that is it wasn't that you were uh, throwing out the Bible as a source of inspiration, you were not looking at something extra biblical. That sorry, <laughs> that uh, you were uh, you know challenging the basic precepts of the faith. You were just using a, a, a different process of basically uh, you know compiling an overall doctrine from the uh, the scriptures that were there present, and that caused sufficient consternation for people. Uh, I guess that's a lesson learned for for a lot of people. Uh, in the biblical faith here, you can stand fast with the Bible and still make lots of enemies, unfortunately, in the faith, can't you? That is very, very true. And uh, That's too bad. You just have to decide who your who your real commitment is to. Uh, we, we've seen that over and over again with guests on the Future Quake Show, people who have bravely taken a stand many times in, in various facets related to end times uh, events. And whether they're right or wrong, they've often paid a price for their commitments. Uh, they've lost positions in their churches or other kind of things like this. And um, we have a good degree of respect for people who, particularly for reasons of biblical conviction, uh, make those particular brave decisions. As director of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute, uh, you promote and provide education of the Pre-Wrath theological model of end times events that a good number of our listeners may not be fully aware of. We have a very educated audience here at Future Quake, a, a lot of interest in, in end times prophecy events, but not everyone is, is fully aware of that. I'm sure they, many of them are, are, are aware fully of the pre-trib position. But uh, could you explain to our listeners how did this pre-wrath scriptural prophecy position originate and what has been the nature of its growth and progression within the community of biblical scholars? The, as, a, as an articulated position under a title, uh, the pre-wrath position was uh, articulated by Marv Rosenthal uh, in a book, Pre-wrath Rapture, written back uh, late uh, late 90s, uh, early 90s, excuse me. 
Um, the position itself, uh, without the title, however, has uh, strong roots all the way back to the church fathers, which I have documented and demonstrated uh, on more than one occasion. The position, as articulated by Marv Rosenthal uh, back in the very early 90s, um, certainly set off a uh, rather interesting debate uh, because Marv Rosenthal had quite a bit of influence in the evangelical circles, particularly among pre-tribulationists, in light of his Jewish background and his influence with a very prominent Jewish ministry. Uh, from the from Marv's book, uh, the uh, position began to grow rather rapidly because of Marv, and then, of course, subsequent to Marv's book, Robert Van Campen uh, wrote a book which, uh, of course, uh, was monumental in moving the position forward. It has grown. It has always been a grassroots growth process, and it, it continues to grow. In fact, uh, the position has overtaken uh, the mid-tribulational position to the point that fewer and fewer people are even articulating the Mitria position as such, and the pre-wrath position is being articulated more uh, in, in lieu of uh, those who are arguing against it, uh, that is, pre-trib or post-trib. What about within the university theological departments and in seminaries? Is there starting to be more of a presence of scholars that are discussing this or writing papers in this area or, or even teaching this to other students to consider as alternatives? It depends a lot on the particular institution. Institutions which are strongly pre-tribulational in flavor uh, are continuing uh, to argue and build a case against the position where there are more and more students who are coming into those schools who, in fact, hold the position and are debating and arguing and fostering a very strong climate for it. Uh, outside of a, of a pre-tribulational camps, uh, the pre-wrath position is just one other position that usually is articulated uh, and discussed in a, in, a, in a rather long list of different positions. They, they tend not to be too concerned one way or the other uh, as to its uh, truthfulness over against another position, but simply are more interested in us simply articulating it so people understand what it is that one teaches. So people would have a well-rounded education, in other words, Correct. of the alternatives. Are, are there any universities that um, were some of the first to make a position where they actually uh, began to teach this uh, with some prominence of the scholars, or are there ones that are well-known right now for it that take a leadership position, for example, writing papers on the topic and things like that? Uh, no, uh, the position has uh, generated uh, quite a bit of uh, disturbance uh, among those who attempted to do so early, up to and including uh, receiving censorship and uh, not being very well received among their colleagues because of the apparent uh, uh, confusion that the position was causing. Uh, Coastland University in Southern California, a Bible college in fact adopted the position and it is in their their statement and it is taught there but that is the only Christian university that I'm aware of where the position is freely and openly articulated and supported by faculty top to bottom. Hmm. Uh, in hmm. other institutions um, there are faculty men who hold the position. I have uh, a good number of good uh, godly men who hold the position, but they do not articulate it publicly, primarily because they did not see it rising to the level of needing a fight. Right. Uh, they felt like there were other if 
fish that needed to have uh, to be fried, and they are fighting against some other things and, and mm. pretty much left this position alone for a while. As they mm-hmm. said to me, um, this position will continue to grow and it will continue to be received and articulated all on its own because it has a life that I do mm-hmm. not believe can be stopped and that therefore no need to really sacrifice yourself unless mm-hmm. you just have to. And your resource institute is intended to be an educational arm for that, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, well, I know we've talked all around it, but we've not actually talked about it in the details of it. So could you give us a very succinct description of the key points and the fundamental tenets that comprise the pre-wrath position, interpreting Bible passages that reveal uh, future prophetic events? It primarily argues that the pre-tribulational understanding of our Lord's return is right in just about uh, all of its details except the timing issue itself. Um, It is very close and akin to that position uh, in that uh, it, we strongly insist that the church will be removed from the earth before any aspect of the wrath of God is poured out on the world or on the wicked. The, the particular uh, point of interest, of course, is that it insists that the wrath of God does not begin until after the wrath of Satan has started and permeated the world to some great degree, normally it's called the Great Tribulation, after it has started and has gotten its, uh, gotten into its worst dimensions, uh, at that point uh, Christ will come to relieve his people from it and pour out his wrath on the wicked. Okay. Uh, I, I guess the, the thing when I first became familiar with it that really stood out for me as far as a, a technique that other things seem to fall together on and in my outside view of it, hmm. was that it takes a straight-up view of Matthew 24 uh, as it is. In other words, it takes the verses and the events chronologically yeah, as Jesus. No gymnastics involved. Yeah, it just, it just t- takes them uh, in order in there and then finds to see how the other passages uh, are able to harmonize with that. Would, would that be correct? Is that one of the hallmarks of the, that the position? Be- That would be true. It does, in fact, understand Matthew 24 to have relevance for the church, that uh, the outline that our Lord gives in that passage does, in fact, uh, lead up to and include his coming on the clouds to receive to himself his own. Well, one of the things I've noticed about that is that you don't seem to get as much, and maybe I don't know enough details about it, but you you don't have to get into the, the parsing situation of saying certain passages were only for a Jewish audience to hear, other passages refer to pre-rapture saints in the church, other passages refer to tribulation saints. It seems like it very eloquently avoids having to assign different clientele to each of these passages. Does it, does it in fact, do a better job of that? I believe it does because it recognizes that the day of the Lord is the cut point, that it it is the day of the Lord. It, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people first were thinking, they were thinking that the day of the Lord was going to be a marvelous and wonderful thing for Israel, only to find out later that, in fact, it was not going to be a day of celebration at its beginning but in fact would be a day of intense uh, pouring of God's wrath uh, against the wicked of which Israel would be included and would only be saved after some portion of it had had come. 
in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul picks up the day of the Lord and he demonstrates that the day of the Lord will in fact uh, be a day of wrath for the wicked, but it will be a day of deliverance for his for his righteous. And by setting the day of the Lord, it's beginning as the cut point between God's revelation and deliverance of his righteous and his wrath on the wicked, you eradicate or erase the need to demarcate between um, Jew and Gentile, between uh, halfway good Christians and all the way good Christians and all the other things that we've had to do to try to explain the end time position given the fact that some passages seem to say one thing to the most faithful believer and something else to those who are not faithful, thus spawning positions like a partial rapture or a, a partial preterist position, all the positions that seem to try to dance around the fact that the text speaks of different groups experiencing different things which seem to warrant uh, separation at every mark when in fact the day of the Lord become an issue that controls and in fact encompasses, uh, encapsulates all of the groups and brings them all into harmony. So for the lay person, I guess one of the key points that is a byproduct of this is that the pre-wrath position makes it very clear that uh, the, the last day's church, those who happen to be the generation uh, just prior to the Lord's return, will uh, experience the wrath of Satan through the Antichrist and through other, his other agents are that he chooses. Uh, and well, actually, there will be positive things that occur, that we will be refined, and there will be, be things that happen that uh, the Lord will prepare us for his return, but that we will experience that, but we will not experience the, the wrath that comes from God himself that will be punitive in nature, will be a judgment on the people of the world. We will be removed prior to uh, his actions against uh, the, the enemies of God, but we will experience a, uh, a very severe persecution uh, just prior to that period of time. Correct. And uh, anyone studying the position, if they uh, simply use the wrath of God and can find passages that clearly, unmistakably, unambiguously assert events and circumstances to actually be the wrath of God will themselves very easily prove where the cut line is in terms of what happens with the believer before the wrath of God comes and what happens after God's wrath comes concerning the wicked. Okay. So, um, you know, many I've heard many people say in the pre-trib community that, well, oh, that's not good news at all. Why, why would you say to rejoice in this, in the fact that you're going to go through all this persecution? And my first thought is, uh, go check out the church in China today, or go check out the church at other places. Uh, uh, you know, they would not have an opinion of how, how dare the Lord put us through persecution. Yes, yes. Where Christians, the the, re- <laughs> the rest of the church experiences persecution as a fact of life. It would it would exactly. be an, another day in their life. So persecution in the church goes hand in hand. Heaven forbid we get to the state that we feel like we're too good to experience persecution, or that we can't be improved and refined and our clothes made white before the appearance of the Lord. So to me, that argument, regardless of other biblical arguments made on, on either side, it, it seems to me to carry very little weight, uh, the fact that uh, it, it's untenable to think that we would actually be persecuted when Jesus, in fact, told him that that would be a hallmark uh, of the Christian life itself. Uh, although this will be a time I know of unprecedented uh, persecution, but following that's going to be a time of unprecedented joy 
uh, when we meet, we meet our Lord in the air. Exactly. You, you've touched on this a little bit, but uh, uh, regarding the, the, the folks in the pre-trib position, which is, I guess, the predominant position of those who are premillennial within the evangelical church, um, there has been a, a palpable tension, you might say. I know there have been uh, debates and people that have backed out of debates in years past, and, and some of the things I've heard some believers say, I've just been shocked at uh, uh, what they would say about a fellow believer who's also trying to understand the Word of God and trying to rightly divide it uh, and maybe coming up to some different conclusions. Uh, there's been some things that to me have been relatively embarrassing uh, in their responses. Can you elaborate further uh, just to where we are in the evangelical community right now as far as uh, how they've responded? I know in the academic world you, you alluded to some things, the positions that they've taken, but elsewhere, uh, out in the court of public opinion, uh, in books and authors and things like that, have there been some other notable events that have occurred during this awkward time with the rise of the pre-wrath position and its clashing with the, the pre-trib belief system? Well, so one of the things that uh, happen, of course, uh, whenever someone articulates a position in a more refined way or perhaps adds some dimension to it that was unseen prior, a lot has to do with how it's initially articulated. And unfortunately, in both uh, Mr. Rothenthal and Mr. Van Campen's writings, uh, they were, uh, were a little bit unnecessarily strident uh, with uh, their attempt to call people to recognize uh, the insights that they had gained. Uh, no one likes to be told that they're wrong, and no one likes to be upbraided uh, because they believe something correctly or not correctly. More importantly is to be gracious and to be kind and to simply give people the time to, to wrestle with something without necessarily being uh, criticized. So I have found that in, in trying to articulate the pre-wrath position, particularly among those who really are concerned about a rapture, which would tend to be mostly pre-tribulationalists, it has a lot to do with the tone and flavor that you present the positions with. And if you give people, just giving people a choice to make on their own um, and leaving them to respond, I found it's a much better way to, to move the position along than, uh, than debating or getting into heated discussions. So that's a lesson to be learned, regardless of the subject matter. Uh, you know, the, the Bible says that it was a soft answer turns away wrath. Correct. And that particularly when we're talking to fellow believers, this is something we have to remind ourselves on the show many times. We sort of get yeah. high on our horse many times on topics. And we start shaking our fingers and pointing at others. And even though we may really still feel we're right, uh, how we handle each other in the body of Christ is extremely important. And that's why I've, I've tried to start encouraging even small things like referring to our, each other as brother and sister. Because we need to keep the right frame of reference of who our adversary truly is. And we all see through a mirror darkly. Uh, I appreciate those who are willing to take a fresh look at Scripture and to challenge some of our assumptions because we, we get so many of our assumptions in our culture uh, merged into our theology that it needs to be challenged regularly. As, exactly. long, as long as it's challenged with the understanding through the lens of Scripture. Uh, exactly. But, but that, is a, that is a lesson learned, and I appreciate you being very honest yeah. about that and saying that because I hope we can all learn that. We have a lot of our listeners on our show who are authors and people who do their own research. And um, anytime you can approach a, a subject with humility 
in gentleness and sharing your information. Uh, you, you may be less popular in the short term. Sometimes assertiveness can get you a large following uh, right off the bat, but it doesn't necessarily have staying power. And uh, I would suggest that th those people who are who are uh, humble in their approach and sharing their, their positions with the other members of the body, I think in the long haul that's better for all parts involved because, um, again, we have one adversary, and uh, he is the author of confusion. So we do, not, we do not have to have confusion if the fact we have some different views that we can set and, and work over together. W one of the blessings we have on this issue is that in time, uh, hopefully if we have open minds and open eyes and are watchful, we will start to see things develop and see uh, which things of these are right. Correct. Uh, but if we can watch together, arm in arm, we can find out where, where these things are going to follow up. All right, we're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. And uh, I just want to make one quick comment. We don't have much time. All right. Uh, I think what uh, Pastor uh, Cooper shared with about his convictions about something wasn't right and what he was hearing in mm -hmm. prophecy teaching and that he actually sacrificed a good bit. He he uh, he didn't toot his horn here, but he actually taught her hermeneutics mm -hmm. and uh, uh, teaching at Moody Bible Institute. Oh wow! And other very prestigious institutions. And then they he gave just, him the axe because of his. Well, I don't know about or... that with with that location. Mm -hmm. uh, eventually, I know there was some heat brought because of it, but um, the the key is is that he was brave enough to take a stand for a position that blew the mind of other people. He's going to stand up and do it. Isn't that a consistent theme we find with guests on our show? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of our guests, uh, yeah, they mo they're they moved by the evidence and nothing else. For whatever area they talk about, whether yeah. it's UFOs or prophecy or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and I hope you all appreciate them. I just hope you appreciate their commitment. And I know somebody who does appreciate them is Merv. So, Merv, would you come tell our listeners how they can contact us on Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Let's okay. just get out of here. Okay. Like he says, let's get out of here. Tomorrow we'll continue our discussion. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome back to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, Dr. Strangelove Bionic. Why? Oh, you know, I've been answering my phone that way lately, actually. Is that right? Dr. Strangelove's office. Yeah. Well, there was Dr. Zhivago, and then I figured now. Yeah. I'm really more Dr. Strangelove. But he was somewhere, my love. Uh, <laughs> we need to go back to our interview with Charles Cooper, the director of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute. And we're talking about the Pre-Wrath um, Rapture. Mm -hmm. Uh, prophetic model yeah. uh, that he espouses and teaches and we're talking about this evidence in the Bible of the church's exposure to the mm -hmm. Antichrist persecution Yeah, and uh, I find him to be fascinating and he's an excellent teacher one of the most succinct guests I think we've ever had 
Well, it's very, and that's a virtue. Oh, I'm not, I'm not disparaging him. I'm saying it's a good thing. Yeah, it's thank, very thank goodness he doesn't interview my endless rattling on. Yeah. I hate when guests do that by, you know, putting facts out there and interrupting my diatribes. Yeah, thank you for your contribution, Tom. Uh, with no further ado, here's Charles Cooper, and uh, we hope you enjoy the discussion. We'll be right back here to wrap it up on Future Quake. What would you consider to be the greatest strengths, and you may have even already mentioned these so far, but the greatest strengths of the pre-wrath position in comparison to other eschatological views in light of its consistency with Scripture and the robustness of its claims throughout the biblical text? I, I believe the greatest strength of the pre-wrath position is the fact that it is a synthesis. It is the is a synthetic view. It what we what we did, even though we didn't really know that we were doing it. What we really did is we took those components of the pre, mid, and post-trib positions, which are clearly and unambiguously biblical in defense. You can turn to a book, chapter, and verse. The text speaks clearly without the necessity of knowing what it says in the Greek. It's clear in the translation. And by taking the strength of those positions and putting it together, you come up with the view called pre-wrath. Now, there's a reason that there are pre-trib, mid-trib, and post-tribbers. And the fundamental reason is because each one of those have at least one issue that simply does not comport with the text and by removing the contradiction and each one of those positions do in fact have a contradiction at least one uh, by removing the contradiction and taking just that component which you can demonstrate from scripture you come away with a position I believe that is a strong biblical biblically defensible position that does not have any contradictions in it and it is able to handle any passage of scripture that one's that one finds whether old or new and is able to harmonize it with in the context of its original intent as well as the progressive revelation of God it handles every text in that way now that does not mean that it can give you an answer to every question that someone can ask but it, it does mean to me is that on those critically important issues, it harmonizes so marvelously what God initially intended to do with Israel, what he subsequently did with the church, and what he will ultimately do when he brings both together in the uh, temporal kingdom, which we call the millennial kingdom, when both Israel and the church will coexist as two brides side by side. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let me make sure that... Uh for my sake as well as for the listeners, that, that I'm understanding the key tenets again, uh, including any that maybe we, we missed. Um, the, the key here is that there is a separation between our experience of the wrath of Satan here on earth and the wrath of God that will be separated by the rapture of the church. Uh, as far as I know, all of the pre-wrath writers, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, see that occurring at the sixth seal in the book of Revelation. Correct. Uh, as the period of time in which the rapture occurs and then the day of the Lord begins, which is the day of God's wrath poured out on earth. Before that period of time, uh, the Antichrist is revealed. Uh, he eventually uh, comes to power, 
and has the authority over the saints to basically wear out the saints, I believe it says in the scripture, or prevail over them uh, for some period of time, uh, the exact time of which is not certain because we don't know the, the, the day and the hour of the Lord's return. Uh, but we do know that they're cut short because it says that there would be no flesh left if those days were not cut short. And it's understood by the pre-wrath community to be that that's directed toward the uh, believers, that the believers would would be exterminated uh, if this was not cut short by uh, their rescue by the Lord at, at the time of the rapture. And so basically all the other tenets basically hang on that particular position. That is correct. So uh, believers uh, in that last generation would see the rise of Antichrist. They would see him come to rule. They would see the abomination of desolation occur, according to Jesus' uh, text in Matthew 24. Uh, they then would know that persecution, if anything's going on up to that time, it's really going to take off at that time, be extremely severe. And they have to wait for the sign, uh, the, the signs in the heavens and elsewhere that shows that their redemption draws nigh, uh, resulting in the rapture. And then the, the rest of the world recognizes the day of the Lord is occurring. Uh, and then they experience the, the wrath of God foretold in the, the, the trumpets and the bowls. From their Thank court. you. Thank you. I appreciate the fact that at least uh, I, you have read the position, you can articulate it, whether you believe it or not or hold to it, at least you can articulate clearly what it says. Uh, that is one of the frustrations that I have <laughs> uh, with some people who want to argue with me about the position is that they did, have not read it and comprehended exactly what it believes so that they can honestly respond to those pieces that perhaps they don't have confidence is uh, consistent with the Scripture. So thank you. I appreciate well, that. I have to confess to you, I'm an engineer in background, and I read extremely slow. I read <laughs> every text as if it's a mathematics text, of formulas. So uh, in, in this particular show, volunteering in this show, when I get books and materials every week, it is a challenge for me to be able to get through a lot of material. But you were so gracious in providing materials. You you certainly did not want to uh, sweep under the rug any information about the pre-wrath position. You provided as much that I could digest to fully understand the position. Uh, the book from uh, Mr. Van Campen I was able to read, which was very succinct, covered the, the key points. And then, of course, your new book, which we want to focus on in the second half of our interview, um, were excellent texts, were very clear, were very straightforward to me. Uh, but I also need to say that uh, one thing that has helped me and, and possibly even Tom here is that some of the key points you make that would be very disturbing to pre-tribbers regarding a six-seal rapture, uh, regarding the day of the Lord being the key event after that, um, we, sort of uh, helping uh, us prepare the ways in a John the Baptist kind of fashion were some authors that we have on our show that are extremely popular. One is by the name of Peter Goodgame, and the other is the name of David Lowe. And I don't know if you've ever met uh, just David Lowe, for example. Uh, some of his books came right on the heels of Peter Goodgame's. But uh, his research to show the association in Scripture between earthquakes and resurrections into glorified bodies are a fascinating study. Uh, and he gives extra hints that uh, the earthquakes that we see associated with the sixth seal and, and, for example, associated with the two witnesses are another indication that that's an indication of the rapture of the church. Uh, even there was an earthquake when, uh, when Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead and other, other things like that. I don't want to get into all of that, but uh, their particular work, and I don't know if their work completely uh, 
really uh, templates right over the preposition, but it helped prepare my understanding to better accept uh, the propositions that you made. And that's why I feel like we really need to stay very open-minded with new scholars, new voices that are taking fresh looks at things. And uh, if in, on all sides, if we keep open minds, we'll be able to have some real growth and be surprised with what the Lord shows us. About the I, I, I would certainly agree. And I, I believe that uh, if you are consistent with the, with the text, that there will be a, quite a bit of consistency and harmony with what people are discovering new insights on uh, different issues. I don't think that they will necessarily compromise the biblical truth, but will in fact uh, enlighten. It will throw further light on certain aspects and certain ideas, and will should it should bolster people's faith right. in a position. But if you come across something which is uh, which clearly seems to be contradictory, then the then it would be behoove the whole body to take a serious look and wrestle with it to ensure that we have in fact understood the text as it should be. And over the history of the the uh, church age, we've seen that there have been a few positions that we've had to modify because we we better understand and the Spirit of God has helped us to better see. And I think the issue of the timing of the Lord is one of those issues that perhaps uh, the Lord has granted perhaps a little more insight in these latter days that perhaps was not known before. It's not new revelation, but I would believe it would be new insight into God's revelation as to its meaning. Well, as we, you know, as we look at the progression of our understanding, without trying to take sides or anything, but just looking at this natural progression of the last days, in the book of Daniel at the end it says knowledge will greatly increase. And we often think about that in the secular world due to the rise of computers and communications and things. But I think that can also happen in the household of faith. And, and I still appreciate people like Hal Lindsey writing things like the late great planet Earth, completely turning people in the church on their ear. And uh, it led to a lot of people uh, finding faith in the Lord from reading that book and really seeing that the uh, Lord is active in our world today. We could debate his uh, positions all day, but the fact is the Lord used things like that. I can remember Howard C. Estep and the King is Coming uh, television broadcast and how much I look forward to seeing him. A number of people on the way, and my positions have evolved and changed, and I expect they will continue uh, to do that, but I do think we might expect, as we come up to the close to the last days, if in fact we're in it, that that our knowledge will continue to be refined, and we should maybe keep an attitude to expect that uh, along the way as we go. Well, if we use the the first coming of our Lord as a model, uh, we can very quickly see that the the scriptures gave us a a bare skeleton uh, with respect to some of the very specific issues in terms of how they would happen. We knew he would be born in Bethlehem, but to a virgin um, on a trip to pay taxes uh, without any recognition whatsoever, uh, to soon be carted out of the land for a number of years to be saved from uh, the king. Uh, I mean, there are so many details about our Lord's uh, first coming that simply were not known and and did not have any inkling that it would work the way it did, uh, tells me that the second coming of Christ, what we know in Scripture, probably is a skeleton. We have we don't have a lot of the things that's going to address around it that's going to give it shape and definition. And probably uh, some of those things will not be 
would not have been known had we not had the time to allow history to develop. The fact that Israel is back in the land, the intense hatred between the Jews and the Arabs, uh, the intense hatred of the world that's growing more and more, that's blamed Israel for everything that's going on in the world. I mean, how all these things are coming to shape is greatly influencing how we ought to understand biblical fulfillment. So we shouldn't be so so convinced that we understand it perfectly the way it's going to evolve that we are unwilling to allow things that are happening to influence the shape of how things are going to look, not necessarily in the great detail, but certainly in the big picture. Right, and be and be joyfully teachable in the process. Exactly. Uh, the and, and the other thing I'd, I'd like to warn everyone is that also to expect uh, insight to come from unexpected quarters. Exactly. If, if you think about the first advent, who were the people who really uh, were most on the ball in looking for the Lord's return uh, and taking action based upon their knowledge? This, these were the uh, wise men from the East uh, who actually came outside of the regular culture of the in-culture of believers. Uh, they were familiar with Daniel's prophecies. Uh, they took uh, literal understanding uh, of uh, these passages and things like this. And the Lord could reach out to those people to, uh, to make the others, make the wise humble. Uh, when they could come forward and actually see and be be used of the Lord to uh, to to show their revealing of their knowledge. Let, let let let's look at it from the other side. Let's turn the coin on the other side. Every model, uh, every theory that one has about theology or any other kind of model, scientific or otherwise, has its strong points and its weak points. And anyone who is uh, honest academically uh, can even uh, mention uh, some of the more challenging or weaker aspects of their own position that they take. Uh, looking at the pre-wrath position, what would you consider some of the more challenging aspects of the belief as far as any kind of problem text or those that require uh, special treatment? Uh, what would you say, for example, the, the, the kinds of issues that would be, be most uh, uh, pushed forward by, say, people who have opposing views uh, that would press forward? What, what would be the kind of things that, that you honestly deal with in, in this position? Well, of course, uh, the, the, the pre-wrath position begins with the assumption that there needs to be a redefinition or redefining of most of the critical terms that uh, are are used relative to the Lord's second coming. Um, And that automatically creates some problems with people when it seems like everything that I've learned is wrong. Um, People can get very easily offended and and be abraded because of that. But uh, the number one weakness uh, and the probably the greatest hurdle that the pre-wrath position uh, has uh, to overcome uh, consistently is the whole idea that uh, this time is going to be cut short. The, the fact that the text mentions a cutting short of the days of intense persecution is, is very well stated. What it means, however, is, a, is a great debate, and when the pre-wrath position basically stands or falls on whether or not one understands the cutting short there to involve a cutting short of that three-and-a-half-year period. That seems to be on its face an apparent contradiction when the text clearly unambiguously says that Antichrist is going to have three-and-a-half years to persecute the saints in Daniel chapter 7. Then you come to the New Testament and you're saying, well, wait a minute, it's going to be cut short. It's not going to last for three and a half years. We don't know how long, but it's right. not going to be three and a half years. I mean, that, that really throws a kink in, in, in what 
we normally argue in the face value hermeneutic where you take the text at face value for what it says. Well, it says three and a half years. You're saying it's cut short. Seem like we're violating our own, your own principle of the plain sense being the real sense of the text. That that is a problem, and how you how you get around or explain it so that it is biblically consistent is not easily understood, even by some who have to try to argue it. Okay, well, that that is a classic point. That's exactly the kind of scenario that I'm talking about. And and every system has some more, some less of that area. But that that would be a classic uh, scenario. Can you proceed? I don't know if you can do that. Uh, relatively succinctly, but but how how do you explain that uh, that difference? Well, there are two issues. One is the fact that the promise in uh, Daniel seven twenty five uh, through there is that Antichrist will in fact have three and a half years to persecute saints. Um, however, is Antichrist will have no desire to persecute for three and a half years. He is not only a game plan, I'm going to kill all the Christians, but it's going to take me three and a half years to do it. He, he's not He's not running around saying, boy, it's three and a half years, man, i got two more years to work at this. His goal is to get rid of them as fast as he can. He would certainly be happy to get rid of all of them on day one if he mm-hmm. could. The, pro- the reason he can't get rid of all of them at the, at, in a single thrust is because God is not allowing it. God set the time frame, not the Antichrist. He, he didn't come to this with the idea that I'm only going to have seven years. God is the one who determined the length of years, number one. Number two, the fact that he will have three and a half years to persecute does not mean he has an object to persecute. He would have been much more content and only having a year to persecute if he could get the job done. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he's going to have three and a half years does not say anything about whether he's going to have an object to persecute or not. That's number one. Number two, the Lord Jesus informs us that the reason that period was cut short uh, by God was to protect or to ensure that there would, in fact, be saints alive on earth to witness the miraculous appearance of Christ on the clouds. Uh, If God had allowed it to run its course, uh, it says that uh, no flesh could necessarily have survived. I take it to mean that uh, very few believers would have been left if, if it was allowed to run its course. And there is precedence for God cutting short uh, his uh, his allowed uh, persecution of his people by an enemy once his people repent and begin to call out in mercy for forgiveness. And I can demonstrate that uh, quite easily based on the New Testament. So there is precedent for the idea that God will limit, cut short, uh, bring to an end the persecution of his people. The one thing that I am absolutely convinced of is that when God's people repent and begin to call on him, he will hear. And he is not afraid to turn the course of his intent uh, when his people call on him for mercy. He will grant mercy. So that is how I understand uh, though that passage to be uh, reconciled. Well, l- let me see if I understand this, and you correct me if I'm wrong. The, 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 the fact that God will respond, like you say, when people call on him, would be something akin to the Ninevites, who, even though Jonah was told to say that you're going to be destroyed, uh, God in his mercy uh, intervened, even when his own word said he was going to destroy them. 
in a, right. in a finite event and, and interceded in a redemptive manner for those people. Well, the classic, excuse me for cutting you uh-huh. off, the classic example of it concerns David. Uh, David sinned. God came in judgment and gave him three options. Uh, you know, you can you can have three days, three months, or three years, depending on which right. enemy you'd like to have. And David chose what he thought would be the lesser of the three, only to find out once the death angel began to kill that by praying, uh, repented God that God in fact cut short the death angel's march in the terms of the number of days that he would have been killing. So God, there there are examples in the scripture where mercy. God's people uh, called for mercy, and God stopped his judgment or stopped the judgment that he would allow to happen against his people, not only in the case of those Ninevites, but also in Israel itself. And there are cases of um, certain events being cut off suddenly. Uh, Even Messiah was cut off. Uh, when he entered Jerusalem, it talks about in, in Daniel, correct? Right. Uh, there was a sudden uh, truncation going along in the middle of the weeks, and it was cut short. But but back to your original assertion on this, um, we, we know that the Antichrist reign is 42 months. We also right. know he has authority over the saints, or usurps that authority. Uh, therefore, when, when we see he has authority over the saints for, 30, for uh, 42 months, we automatically assume that the saints are going to be around for those 42 months uh, for him to be there to, uh, to regularly execute his authority. Exactly. I'm assuming his authority still would be present had the saints be around post-rapture. He still would have that authority while he was in control of the world to persecute the saints. Uh, and, in fact, he will, I guess, direct some of that toward the Jews uh, as a surrogate in, in that respect. And I know elsewhere in Scripture uh, the dragon comes after, uh, I, I assume these are the, the Jews, you can correct me otherwise, and then directs toward the other people of faith, which are those who have the testimony of Jesus. So, so we actually see even, even furthermore uh, this uh, going back and forth between the Jews and the Christian as being the object of persecution, correct? Very well, very well stated. Uh, in fact, he will still have authority to persecute. There will be a brief interruption of his object of persecution, but uh, not long after the rapture, there will be people coming to faith, and some of them will, in fact, be beheaded, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Those people have to be killed after the rapture. But they, but before the millennium, because they wouldn't take the mark and they wouldn't worship the beast, and for that they were cut, their heads were cut off. That means that they that is after the midpoint, mm-hmm. but it would then have to also be after the rapture, as we understand it. So his authority is not diminished at all. It's the object of his persecution that is moved. And interestingly, in Revelation twelve thirteen and fourteen, we get uh, more than one example that God will be moving his people to different places depending on what it is that he's doing. For instance, the woman is going to be put in protective custody for 42 months, and he will not be able to persecute her at all, whereas the offspring of her will not be put in protective custody, but will in fact be his object of persecution until they are removed. And, of course, the the offspring of the woman are believers. We are back to Future Quake Central with the Good Doctor Future. And the not-so-good Tom Bionic. And that was installment two of our interview with Charles Cooper, director of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute. Mm-hmm. And uh, talked a little bit about the uh, shootout at the OK Corral between the pre-tribbers and the Ooh. pre-rathers. 
wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Tommy Ice laying yes. in the dirt somewhere. Oh, brother Tommy, we should here. Here we've talked about uh, being respectful of each other. We yeah, should, we should. You know, and that's something that I have an insane amount of problems with. Folks want to uh, pray a little bit about that for me. I tend to be a little bit too off the cuff, even when I shouldn't be. Um, but I'll tell you who's not off the cuff is uh, Charles Cooper. He yeah. uh, succinct answers. I enjoy the fact that he's right up front about his answers and right up front about some of the problems too. Right, uh, particularly what you mentioned about the the forty two weeks of mm-hmm. uh, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knew exactly what I was getting at mm-hmm. on uh, challenges and weaknesses of position. Yeah. He hit it squarely, put his position on it. I'm sure he understands not everybody yeah. accepts it, but he does have an answer for it. And uh, that's how we make progress is when we're honest with each other and uh, we just let the scripture talk to us. And that should be our goal. Uh, We could also have uh, Merv come in and uh, talk to us about how to contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're in marginal time. We're out. Come back tomorrow for the next installment. Till then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this is our third installment of our interview with Charles Cooper, mm-hmm. who is the director of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute and mm-hmm. an expert scholar on the Pre-Wrath uh, Rapture model of Bible prophecy. Yeah. Uh, and we're talking about the biblical evidence of the church's exposure to the Antichrist persecution and the proper response of faith. And good title, good uh, discussion. I think this is a, a very much overdue uh, show uh, that we had. Yeah. Wish I'd had him on a lot earlier, uh, although he just had a new this new book came out that we'll be talking about in our last day, actually tomorrow, that uh, I thought was fortuitous we had him mm-hmm. on. But uh, we talked yesterday predominantly just about the strengths and weaknesses yeah. of the model, and he was very honest and forthright about that. Uh, you know, I found it interesting that he was right up front, certainly about some of the problems with the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the three and a half years there, and and Daniel seven, mm-hmm. uh, all of that stuff. And proposed a solution though. And, that we and yeah, and and he proposed a solution. But something that people use as uh, to try to discredit. Yeah, and I also I also appreciate the fact that it's a sort of a synthesis synthesis view, if you will, between the uh, the pre, post, and mid trib views, uh, where they took all of in his yeah. in his version they took all of the things that they absolutely knew were true of each view. Right. And put them together and said, okay, this is what we're coming up with. Or another way you could look at it, they just went to Scripture without trying to promote either one of the three. Yeah, they had no they, sacred cows. They just cows. went to Scripture and, and tried to find what harmonizes the best. Mm-hmm. Of course, probably a lot of people try to claim they do that. Um, but uh, I'll just have to say from my initial exposure to it, uh, shame on me for not having spent the time in our busy life to make that a priority to review this earlier. 
But uh, I found it tends to be just a very natural treatment of the Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, starting with Matthew 24, which is the real critical gospel passage Jesus does for it. Uh, and they I tell just you, start that's one that often assumption. gets maligned. It mm-hmm. really does, in my opinion. Well, you do a lot of crazy, like you said, yeah. gymnastics with it. But one of the premises is, let's just take it straight up. It's chronological and without having to parse out who is one group or the other. Mm-hmm. And like a point I mentioned that he reinforced is it doesn't seem like they have to do as much time breaking out, well, this was for the tribulation saints. This was for the church before the rapture. This is for the Jews. You know, these are the different audiences. And that's when you really get down in the weeds. It, it, my impression is they don't have to do that as much. Yeah. I agree. So I agree. There's not any gymnastics involved, or less, I guess I should say. Well, the more you study it, the more you sort of find out some of the more challenging things. But my mm-hmm. impression so far has been very, very impressed uh, with the, the I, underpinnings. Yeah. I'd be interested to see where he stands on the um, the extra 30 days, because I know a lot of pre-Rath guys tend to put an extra 30 days into the... Yeah, we didn't get much time to talk about that. And I have my own thoughts, because I've thought about that, too, since we've talked about that. Really? About um, why do we assume that the... The abomination of desolation that's set up in the the the, the thing that the image that talks mm. has to be synonymous with the time that he's officially given the reins over the whole world. Mm. I don't see why there couldn't be a thirty day gap between that, and that solves a lot of those problems. Well, I but feel I don't know. That's for another discussion, but we'll worry about that. Yeah, we gotta. We probably should. We go. need to go. Uh, with no further ado, here's uh, Pastor Charles Cooper, and we'll be right back to discuss it on future quake. Well, I'm glad that you brought that last point up because that I, I didn't know where where you fell on the position of uh, uh, believers uh, coming about during the day of the Lord. Uh, you, you believe that there still is a possibility that they could hear the message either from the two witnesses or 144,000 or someone that they could still come to some type of saving faith even though they give up their life as a consequence. Well, there uh, that is the only way that you can reconcile Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17 and following through chapter 66 the fact that there are going to be Gentile believers and that is the only way that you can reconcile Matthew chapter 25 verse 34 and following with the sheep and goat judgment there would be no need for sheep and goat judgment unless there are some people saved after the rapture there would be no sheep so that the only way you can have sheep among Gentiles after the rapture is that Gentiles must come to faith. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you have to have it. There is no way around it. And that is post-rapture. That is post-rapture, correct. But, but it's certainly not the recommended course of action of anyone in our listening audience. <laughs> <laughs> if you think the persecution is bad uh, up to the rapture, um, we, we don't want to give the indication that you might want to just sort of hang out and see, uh, see how things play out here. Today is the day of salvation. And if the Lord is sending the spirit of repentance to you right now, by all means, before this show is over, right now, drop to your knees and give your heart over to our Lord and Savior because uh, you're going to need to lean on him. If you think days are going to be hard for believers in Christ, uh, he he knows every one of our hairs of our head are numbered, and he watches the sparrow when it falls. Uh, And there's nothing that we're going to experience uh, that he has not been tempted in, in all these points, and nothing in which we cannot prevail through that he will lead us through. He will not lead us to any temptation without providing a way of escape. So uh, if you want to take the really the, the tough ride, so to speak, uh, go into these last days as an unbeliever. Well, that's uh, the ultimate tough ride. And I don't want to recommend that to any of our listeners right now. If you think the, the persecuted life of the Christian is rough, you just wait until 
the wrath of God comes down on all those who have rejected him. And we don't wish that for any of our listeners right now. Um, the uh, I, I want to just sort of close this up a little bit and get on to your new book that's out, which which I was just fascinated by. But but I want to ask you about the future. Um, how do you see this uh, in the next Ten years or so. I, I assume in, in your institute, you you sort of look down the road a little bit. I know it's up to the Lord and what He's going to do, but uh, how, how do you see this uh, belief growing? Uh, how do you think a, a way that it's going to really catch hold, and become more widespread within the Christian community? And do you have any actions to help promote that? Yes, I uh, I made the statement uh, in 1992 that the pre-wrath position would in fact grow and would in fact become the dominant position because it was going to begin in the grassroots. And that's exactly what has happened. Um, Every day I receive phone calls, letters, emails from people who uh, have adopted the position as a result of reading or studying or coming to some position on their own. Uh, As they begin to wrestle with the text without commentaries and without other people's influence, just read the text for what it says, I believe they will come to this position. And it has, in fact, I've seen that demonstrated over and over and over again. The fact that more and more seminary students are beginning to argue and articulate the position and defend it in the classroom is also an indication to me that there is an upward growth of the position from the grassroots up through the seminary and ultimately into the pulpits in America. Um, I have students at Dallas Theological Seminary as well as Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary as well as Grace Seminary who are on my mailing list and whom I'm in regular communicate with who argue and articulate their position at every turn that there is a a wave of people growing and studying more and more developing the surety of their ability to argue this position they're not doing it in in a uh, in a boastful way they're not uh, seeking to disturb or to cause undue stress and trauma in the body but they're simply trying to articulate what they believe to be the more biblical position on the timing of, of our lord's return and i don't i, I do not see that uh, diminishing in any capacity Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I know your institute uh, is there. You have a, a con- conference that I, that I want to ask you about at the conclusion of our interview here. Is one means to disseminate information for people to come, exchange notes. Um, do you have other things like um, magazines, other publications, even things like videos or things like this as Bobble a means? Heads. Not bobbleheads. <laughs> Any? Sorry. Uh, any? <laughs> Yeah, thanks for your input there, Tom. It, that'll buy you a seat there on the uh, this, on the board of the all pre wrath All this theological discussion and yeah. I exactly. have to derail exactly. the whole thing. Do, do, exactly. do, do you have techniques like, uh, like I said, videos, documentaries, uh, magazines, things as a way to spread this word out to the masses to a greater degree? We do have different pieces of literature. We these uh, and there's much, much more in production. When I started the Pre-Rath Resource Institute, after I uh, stopped working at Sola, uh, it was my intent to give the body as uh, much material as necessary: home Bible studies, small group Bible studies. But the one thing that I wanted to do was to give a reason scholarly defense of the pre-wrath position because that is what was initially missing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I'm trying, and I've been working on that for the last three years. I have three more books that are yet to be published uh, that will be published every, about every six months, uh, depending on uh, the schedule, uh, as well as home Bible studies, Sunday school literature, uh, as well as uh, the blog. We don't use magazines. Um, Research has demonstrated that people are less and less uh, reading, um, and uh, it's very expensive to, to publish a magazine at a very high quality, and I think that money can be used for some other things that we are anticipate launching here in the, in the very near future. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, yours truly here uh, used to produce a feature-length drama. Movie dramas are biblical-based. In our church, we have a gentleman who does world-class biblical documentaries. And we found that to be an extremely effective way yeah, to get exactly. the word out about yeah. these things. He's also exactly. pre-wrath. Uh, he's also, yeah, yeah. In that it, he is a pre-wrath in his I position. I understand that. Um, so, so there are people out there that if you wanted something that sort of captured the kind of uh, spark within the public, like the Left Behind series or the movies or things like that, you, you, you've got a school of minds that are out there that could put their heads together and capture the public's imagination. You, you're doing the theological and doctrinal underpinnings that are required to be the foundation and bedrock uh, of this. But there are some other ways to dramatize uh, this that I think could be quite compelling for people. I agree. And uh, we do have a, a video division. Uh, we have uh, developed the capacity to stream high-definition video over the Internet. And uh, we are going to be actually introducing uh, video, uh, the utilization of video in support of this position by streaming it over the Internet. So, as I said, there there are some things that I'm not talking about that Mm -hmm. we have in the pipeline that I think are going to uh, exponentially uh, cause appreciation for the position and how we articulate it and the, the biblical defense that we are building. In the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the last five years, I have done uh, considerable research on, on the position. I think that Barb Rosenthal and Van Campen's mm-hmm. initial articulation certainly were good, but there, there, there is some stuff that I believe will greatly impress those who are looking for a solid biblical basis for what they believe because so many of the scholars uh, kind of, they, they took the, the timing issue kind of for granted and really didn't see a need to really spend a lot of time on the position. But now that scholarship is coming to it, I think people are going to be surprised. Well, uh, you know, I, I have sort of drawn in the camp of really enjoying good quality documentaries on these things. And I know we even have yeah. a documentary night as an outgrowth of our of our show here that is in the Nashville area here on, on these kinds of topics. And we would certainly like to have information like this for that. Yeah. But but I also know that, the, uh, that this topic really lends itself to the dramatic medium. And sure. um, th- this might be a neat next stage to do is to start putting some heads together that can actually illustrate this for, for other people who aren't theologians to exactly. be able to see and be able to get their arms around this. Um, right. I've got uh, just a couple other quick questions and then on, on to your book. One is about um, 
some people who we've had on our show that are excellent uh, prophecy teachers. Uh, I would call them futurists by nature in that they mm. see, uh, you know, the, the prophecies, particularly we, we uh, relate to the second coming as all being futurist in nature, as opposed to, to uh, you know, a, a full-blown preterist-type uh, position. Right. But uh, one of the areas where they give a little latitude on, and I want to get a quick opinion from you on this, is that, in fact, they would agree with you on a six-seal uh, rapture uh, following the, by the day of the Lord, but uh, some of them actually give a little latitude on the potential of the first four seals uh, being somewhat historical in the sense that maybe post the time of John, the time that he saw them, they were futurists from his aspect, but maybe he might have some kind of manifestation over the years leading up to the time of the last days. Can the pre-wrath position accommodate people who have that position as well, as long as they see the sixth seal as a future event, uh, uh, you know, subsequent to the to the rapture and the day of the Lord. It, it would depend on the on the the way that the argument is uh, presented and what the uh, basis is. The idea that uh, that there's been a marching forth, for example, uh, marching forth of evil and an intent to overcome and conquer the uh, the people of God is certainly a spirit that has been uh, loose a long time, as mm-hmm. well as the fact that uh, John in 1 John made very clear that the spirit uh, of Antichrist is a loose, he's growing, and that it was a loose at his time, and that that spirit has in fact been around and marching forth and will ultimately come to be epitomized in one individual. There is a sense in which it is possible that more than one of those kinds of things are in fact going on. Mm -hmm. And I would not be surprised if uh, the mother, let's say the second seal, that there is going to one day come an event which would be considered the mother of all mm-hmm. uh, famines or something, right. whereas precursors have, have always been at work. So I, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't, stre- I wouldn't stress uh, the impossibility of something like that. Okay. Well, it just seems to me that the the, the key point is the is the the pre wrath position of rapture occurring in between the wrath of Satan and the and the wrath of God. That's the key tenet. Uh, to fall in, and and there's still some latitude that one could have to have a little bit bigger tent and still consider themselves uh, pre-wrath within that respect. Uh, There is a book uh, that that you forwarded me that was a very useful read. It was very brief called The Pre-Wrath Rapture Position Explained by Robert Van Campen. And um, one of the things, it was a very useful book, but one of the uh, terms he kept using was the term bondservant of Christ. And uh, it's it's used as synonymous for us numerous times in the in the book. But in in one instance, on page 67 of the book, he he comments on the purpose of writing the book of Revelation. He says that it was written for his being uh, the Lord's true bond servants, not for the church in general. Hmm. Can you explain what he meant by the term bond servants and how that differs from the church? And is this a common terminology that's used throughout the pre-rest scholarly community? Uh, no, it's not. Um, he was trying to argue, articulate the idea that uh, based on the seven churches of Revelation, that a church, you can call a church a church even though it may not be a church that belongs to Jesus Christ, that, that there are churches that do in fact do a lot of good things, but they do not claim the lordship of Christ alone 
And he was trying to argue that by John's use of the term bondservant, that he was actually talking to the faithful wing of the church. Okay. Not not the whole of, of the body, but that part which is would be con- in some sense considered a remnant. Wow. Like, Mm-hmm. That just as in Israel there was a remnant which was the righteous, true uh, fellowship of the Lord in the New Testament in the church, there is also a remnant that is of the true fellowship of Christ within the broader community. Church being uh, everybody but bondservant referring only to that uh, righteous mm-hmm. dimension. Well, I suspected that, but I just wanted to make sure that was clear. because So that would be the church that the Lord sees from heaven. Exactly. That's the one he really sees. Now, in, in, in to, to, to counter that then, the, the, the church we see here, the, the, those that don't fall under that designation of bondservant, is it possible because of their compromising views that they may avoid a good bit of the persecution of the Antichrist because of their willingness to play ball uh, with him? Well, I think they're certainly going to think they can, and uh, they, they're probably going to try, but I don't think it's going to be successful because at some point he's going to demand uh, that you actually have to say the words. You, you have to take the mark. You have to, hmm. I believe the reason, the reason he's going to start marking people and will feel the need to, to demand this is because he's going to discover that there are some people trying to play both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. He, but what he wants to ultimately accomplish demands that every person in his army must be fundamentally committed to him in an unapologetic way and he will discover that that is not the case that there there's a herd mentality people just kind of going along be going along but he's going to demand an allegiance and a depth of allegiance that will make it impossible for believers to try to somehow uh outsmart the, the evil one it won't it won't happen so then it goes without saying then that you believe the time at which he forces the bark on everyone will happen prior to the rapture of the church Yes. Okay, so that wow. will be the, the proof and the pudding for people at that point. Now, uh, for the church who tries to, to you know, play it on both sides and is not uh, would be termed a uh, bondservant by uh, Mr. Van Campen, uh, those people, I know they could be subject to a seducing spirit and the great delusion that comes on the world in the last days where they could possibly even be talked out of the fact uh, that they're going to have to take a position of persecution, I would assume, and might go along with it for a long time. Do you think that people in the church need to be warned if their commitment is is not real with the Lord, that they could fall subject to that right up to the point of taking the mark? Well, I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was trying to help the Thessalonians to understand, that they needed to be making every effort uh, to grow in their relationship or their commitment and knowledge of Christ so that they would be able to stand in the day. I believe that that is exactly what he's getting at in Ephesians 6 when he's talking about putting on the full armor of God that they may be able to stand in the day. The day that he's talking about is that that critical day when you will have to give a vocal testimony on which side of the fence you're standing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you know, I wonder if that seduction could be so strong that they're very gradually led along, first with very subtle accommodations, and then stronger and stronger as we see more of an ecumenical movement that is sort of turned into a, um, what you might want to call a goddess-type uh, worship, uh, pagan worship, mystery Babylon belief, 
where they're gradually led into that so much that it may be so subtle that the mark doesn't even ring clear to them of what they're doing because they've already given themselves over to this seducing spirit. Not having as much information as I'd like to have, I, I am just not able to be dogmatic one way right. or the other. I, I, from my studies, I can say that a, a, a rather significant number of true believers who are weak in their understanding and who have uh, piddled away opportunities to really prepare themselves to stand in that day will have some difficulty and will probably lose their life, not because uh, they had to, but because they failed to prepare not to. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and let's just leave that as a warning for all of our listeners out there who may be playing church. God may have sent this message to you today. Uh, to get prepared, because that time is around the corner, and today is the time to get your your life right with the Lord. Did you have a comment before we move on? To the um, book? Well, I just wondered if I'm I'm guessing that you correspond that to uh, I guess it's Thessalonians and the great falling away that Paul writes about there. Yes. Uh, yeah. We are back at the Future Quake Rotunda with uh, Rotunda the, Studio B Rotunda with outside. the Rotunda with the Rotunda <laughs> Doctor Future <laughs> and the uh, Studio B Tom Bionic. Yes. <laughs> uh, after our third installment of our interview with Charles Cooper, and uh, he added more uh, interesting uh, food for thought. Um, we talked a little bit about what the strategy is for uh, this belief to grow, mm-hmm. uh, and they have an educational role uh, to promote this. Uh, belief at the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute, and uh, what I'm impressed is is that he's taken the the very arduous task of laying the theological academic credentials of the belief and taking that long, Hmm. difficult task to first put that foundation in before... Getting the cart before the horse. You know, you see a lot of people that make a big flash in the pan by making something big in the national media news or a hot book or yeah. something really fancy. Whereas he's gone in the, the difficult path of, of getting good, strong theological underpinning, which well, I think will serve them well yeah, over the long haul. Sure, and I find it interesting that they have, I mean, from my view, they seem to have no sort of special sacred cows. Well, maybe a few, but uh, they're very upfront with their beliefs, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, you know, I think that will defend, depend upon the person. You will find some people in a belief or movement that are very flexible, that mm-hmm. are still have a learning, humble attitude, and some that do not. Oh, okay. And uh, so it's going to depend upon the person. I think uh, from my first experience with uh, Pastor Cooper is that even though he's an extremely intelligent and well-versed man, much more than me, mm-hmm. I think he still has a teachable spirit. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. Well, I think it's very telling overall in their movement, and and to him especially, where he predicted that the pre-wrath movement would grow uh, primarily among the grassroots people who read Scripture and just try and interpret it literally, and uh, which is where I was going with the point about uh, uh, not having you know sacred cows. Right. And some people, and I won't mention names, have a lot at stake invested in in other models, in other theory, Mm -hmm. careers. Financial stakes, books, mm-hmm. books sold, yeah. and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have personally witnessed that at conferences, and it really wearied me. Mm-hmm. And some of these people I had as heroes sort of fell down a few pegs when I saw how they reacted yeah. when people had new thoughts. Mm, that's too bad. Well, we got to get out of here. Yeah, we do. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can find out more about FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. 
email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we really do have to go. All right, let's get out of here. Okay, come back for the last installment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. We're back for the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show with your friend, Dr. Future. And the person you love to hate, Tom Bionic. <laughs> Are you just talking to me or the audience in general? <laughs> I'm sure that applies to more people than just you. Uh, I thought it was just me. Yeah. Uh, we uh, got to go back quickly. We don't have much time today. We have a big segment with Charles Cooper, the director of the Pre-Wrath Resource Institute, mm-hmm. and we're doing our last segment of our interview on biblical evidence of the church's exposure to yeah. the Antichrist yeah. persecution, mm-hmm. and particularly the proper response of faith, which will be the subject of today. I'm looking Spotify. forward to it. No further ado, here's Pastor Charles Cooper. We'll be right back to wrap it up on Future Quake. I, I, <laughs> I know I've... I've uh, Rung you through the uh, ringer on the details of the pre-rep position. And, and for people who've been exposed for the first time, I thought that was important for us to do. And I appreciate your patience with us. Because I want to focus the rest of the time on your wonderful book that you've written. It's called uh, Fight, Flight, or Faith, How to Survive the Great Tribulation. And uh, first of all, it's just a fascinating book to read in its own right and very, very useful. And in ways I didn't expect it to be. But it seems like given the position that you have that we're going to endure this. This book, uh, I won't say it's long overdue. I'm sure there was perfect timing and when and how you wrote it, but it's something that's essential. If one is going to take this position, this is the second question you should be asking. What should I be doing to prepare myself and my family if this is a reality I'm going to experience? And I want to thank you for writing this book. Uh, This was a book that was, I I have to, uh, given people, you know, of your particular position. I agree. I if you once you wrestle with the question, and if you come to the same conclusion that I did, that uh, a generation, a future generation of the bride of Christ will in fact have to face the persecution of Antichrist, uh, Satan and his Antichrist. Uh, the most uh, probative question is, what in the world am I? How in the world will I be able to stand? Because that will it will not be easy. And I, I don't know of any other books in the Christian bookstore bookshelf. First of all, if they'll have your book. But if they do, uh, I don't know of any other books like that other than what you have some militia members up there in the woods right. uh, are writing, you know, that are going to fight our government. Aside right. from that, people of the uh, the scholarly uh, theological community and evangelicals just aren't touching this topic at all. And yeah. I'm, I'm glad you finally started it. And you've, you've begun the dialogue and you got us off to a good start with this book. Well, unfortunately, one of the side unintended consequences of uh, Mr. Van Campen's book was the the idea that uh, people will be able to to go into the wilderness, as it were, and 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 survive, even if up to and including, you, you know, defending yourself against evil with uh, with weaponry and some of these other kinds of things, and that to me 
moves far afield of what the New Testament presents in terms of how believers respond to persecution. The church has always faced persecution. The New Testament church was intensely persecuted up to and including the Apostle Paul, and yet he never gave insights or warnings or directions about fighting uh, evil with the, with the gun or with the sword. And so I, I just felt a, a deep need to help people understand what should be foremost and uppermost in their minds uh, in light of the possibility that a generation will be called upon to face that, that great persecution. Well, the title of your book gives the three options that Christian readers have if they find themselves in the generation that are exposed to what you all call the great persecution instead of the tribulation period, which is probably a more apt term. Um, what are the factors that determine, of those three options, which approach is appropriate? I don't want to give away your whole book, but can you give us just a little bit of information of uh, some of the basic factors one needs to consider and whether they pick one of the three? Well, first and foremost is, is to, to, a, to a tremendous amount of realism about what the period will truly be like. Uh, we normally talk about, uh, you know, People love growing cold and lawlessness and wars and rooms of wars and all these things. But in terms of the practical outworking of all of that in, into a person's life, how realistic is it uh, to think that uh, one can fight their way uh, out of that or through that? Um, particularly given the New Testament simply just it does not give us uh, any directions in that way whatsoever. In fact, uh, the Lord Jesus makes very clear that uh, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword, uh, that that is not an alternative for believers. And I do not believe that uh, it is biblically defensible to kill uh, someone, uh, particularly in that period, uh, in order to save one's life. But that, in fact... Uh, if you see, if you want to save your life, then you've got to be willing to give your life, is what the Lord said. Mm -hmm. So right. fighting just doesn't seem to me to be realistic. Uh, flight, uh, you know, whether you're going to be able to take flight and go to a place of safety, it seems to me that that whole issue uh, becomes an impossibility with the increase uh, in the terms of the number of people who are calling themselves Christians. If you only had a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand, maybe, but when you talk about millions of believers, the idea that somebody's going to be able to go to a place of hiding uh, without some kind of divine uh, help is going to be highly impossible. So it mm -hmm. just seemed to me that the first two are simply impractical, particularly given the way the world is moving and the fact that there are now six billion people on the face of this earth with the, with the rapidness of which is increasing. Mm -hmm. The idea that you're going to be able to go somewhere and stay for three and a half years and be undetected seems to me to be untenable. And you, you give some brief examples of that in your book about the satellite technology and things they have. One of the things you didn't even mention was ground-penetrating radar, where they could even look under the ground. Uh, so what, what happens is this, uh, this whole idea of being able to fight off the Antichrist or being able to evade him by, by hiding are really romanticized views that aren't really uh, attached to reality. Not, neither attached to reality or have a solid biblical basis. And justification, was, yeah. Justification. What I'm more interested in is the biblical, what does the Bible say? What did Paul say to the Thessalonians or what did Peter say to his audience, both of whom were 
uh, under great persecution, intense persecution, up to and including death, both for Paul and Peter. And yet there is no indication that they gave the people any insight into how to survive that persecution other than what is articulated under the idea of faith. So, so do you, do you uh, go against any kind of um, keeping a low profile at all when uh, persecution, I assume it will gradually ratchet up and all of a sudden one day um, Antichrist will say, that's it, we're, we're hauling them all in. But I assume it will be gradually ratcheted up much like the Nazis did. Uh, do you do you feel there's any uh, justification in things like house churches or things like that, or or do you plan to, if you're in that generation, and recommend others to just keep going to church, get in the pulpit, just like uh, nothing else is going on, and just sort of waiting for the time they come show up and haul you off? Is that sort of the approach you're going to take, or something else? Yeah, I believe that one needs to do everything in his his or her power uh, to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And persecution has never been a deterrent to the advancement of the kingdom of God, and it never will be. Uh, we should be seeking to give testimony. In fact, once you correctly understand uh, Matthew 24, the, there's a place in there where it says that when, when you go before the kings and the rulers, don't worry about what you are to say because the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say at that very moment. Now, that passage has been misunderstood by, by some thinking that the Spirit of God was going to be gone from the earth and people were basically going to be on their own. But the Spirit of God will be here, and he will be in his people, and he will be giving them insight as to how to respond uh, to the persecution that is coming against God's people. We, we as believers, once we overcome our hesitation to physical suffering and pain, will realize that this, in fact, will be a great opportunity for believers to do that final deed to which Christ has called every believer, and that is to be willing to die for your commitment to Christ. Americans haven't been called upon to do that, but all over the world. I've been, right. I've been to China. I've been to India. I've, I've dealt with believers who stood in the fear of death, who in fact lost loved ones when I was in northeast India, where where people were killed for their faith. And there's a very different attitude among those people from the, the American people who tend to have lived such a life of ease and who romanticize everything and don't look at suffering for Christ as a badge of honor, that it is, it is the last stage of our fellowship of Christ that we could go to Calvary and every believer has been called to go to Calvary figuratively take up mm. your cross and follow me but we've also been called upon to do it physically if in fact God gives us that opportunity and every believer should be preparing himself every single day for the possibility that he might be called upon to give his life for the cause of Christ. That is what we do as believers. The fact that we haven't had to uh, should not undermine the fact that we may need to. Okay. And so, if, if I understand you here, by the, by the way, that was a very eloquent discourse that I hope our people will go back and replay that several times and listen to what you just said. Uh, we should view it as an opportunity that the Lord provides for us to be able to express and demonstrate our faith as a gift back to the Lord. Exactly. I mean, we 
unfortunately, the coming under the influence of, of a particular position, we have just so relegated that seven years as as quote unquote insignificant to the church that we've lost the appreciation for exactly what that is. It is going to be the most remarkable time on this earth for believers. Mm-hmm. We are going to have an unprecedented opportunity to demonstrate the power of God in the face of calamity unlike any other generation in the history of the world. It's an opportunity. It's a privilege. Mm. It it is not to be Mm. dreaded or to be feared. They cannot take our eternal life from us. They can only take our physical life. And most of the time it will be done rather quickly because according to Revelation 20, verse 4, to be beheaded, um, the the word that used that knife that's used there is is not like the barbaric actions of some uh, in the Middle East in recent years. It's it's a clean severing, and it happens very quickly. And mm-hmm. it is the ultimate demonstration and of your faithfulness. And to prove just how significant that is, those beheaded martyrs are raised and seated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that to me is the is one of the most remarkable passages in the New Testament is Revelation 20 verse 4 because of the implications both of what happened to them to lose their physical life but the benefits of uh, gaining their spiritual life. Well, and one other opportunity is that we can uh, we can keep Jesus out of his chair in his throne for that whole period of time because we know that he stood next to his father when Stephen uh, was being martyred. And I wouldn't be shocked if our Lord and Savior stood the, that whole period of time while each of us are giving our lives. Just think about that. I mean, how, how incredible is that, that the God of heaven is standing as one of his receives the ultimate uh, cap to his life, the loss of physical life for his fellowship of Jesus Christ. It's it's. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to overstate this, but I, I wish people would take a different view about it. It's not morbid. It's not walking with your head hung. My, oh my, oh my, my friend, it's an opportunity. And or, or giving up. It's not giving up either. It no. is willingly giving your life with a full understanding of what you're doing, just like Christ fully gave his life for us when he went to Calvary. Uh, he said, "He said, no one takes my life. I give it up willingly, and that's what we're being asked to do." And we're asked, some will be asked to do that. In fact, God has already determined that they will. Uh, if you believe Revelation chapter six, uh, beginning in verse ten and eleven, that God tells uh, the uh, saints, "Now wait a minute. I'm, take these robes and go there and wait, because the, your numbers are going to increase." There are others. I know that they're going to be killed. I plan for them to be killed. I'm allowing them to be killed. It's a part of my will that they be killed, and they will join you here. And only when they have finished will I then pull my wrath out against the wicked. So it's, it's ordained. God has already ordained it that some of his people are going to die. He knows who they are. He knows when. He knows where. And he knows how. And for me, as a believer, to be standing around dreading what my Father has ordained 
is a is a recognition that perhaps he's not as wise as we say that he is. Right. He is wise. He has done what is best. He has directed. And my job is to do everything in my power to learn to follow him in full fellowship up to and including dragging a wooden cross to a hill called Calvary. Well, and I was just thinking about you, uh, Brother Charles. Uh, I, I, if if uh, the Lord chooses to keep you alive when that day comes, until that comes, uh, I'm assuming that you've led a pretty decent life. You've had some difficulties, but in the world's terms, you've probably had a, a reasonably good life. And I can't think of a better way to end it, uh, you know, particularly at your age. Uh, we're all getting older. Is to go out with a (laughs) but I mean to go out with a flourish and to go out and to demonstrate to all of those students that you've taught for decades and told them about the reality of the faith that you've taught. That will be the ultimate lesson you will ever teach any of your students is when you go out there and you give of your body and your life to demonstrate how much you believe the reality of what you taught all those years. Yes, sir. And when you believe something... Excuse me, uh, Pastor Charles. I, I'm, I'm a little hard if you've gotten away from the mic a little bit. If you can get a little closer yeah, to the mic. Sorry. There, that's good. Yes. Um, uh, you know, when you really believe something, if you really do believe in the Lord Jesus and that he's called you to be with him and to walk with him and the fact that Paul says we need to fill up his suffering, if you really believe that, uh, then uh, you will you will not see the those days as days to be uh, to be dreaded, but as days of great opportunity for a generation. Those are going to be the saints par excellence as they stand in the face of death calmly, quietly, and give testimony through the power of the Spirit to the might of God. It will be so, it's going to be so overwhelming and so different from anything that we've known that we, pro- we can't imagine it, and so we dread it. Mm-hmm. Whereas we will find it to be the most fulfilling thing that we ever do if the Lord calls us to do it. Exactly. Exactly. I, I know we've we, we just got a few minutes left, and uh, some of the most inspirational parts of your book uh, I was totally shocked by because uh, it really didn't address directly the whole issue of the end times. But but since you proposed faith as the way uh, the way of choice... Uh, you spent a little over half of your book talking about what faith really is. And I have to say it was um, one of the most astounding treatises, I guess the most impressive book I've ever read on the nature of faith. Uh, not that I'm a scholar with thousands of books uh, under my belt, but from my personal experience, I've never read a more impressive and surprising uh, document about faith. And I want to tell all of our listeners that that alone, even if you have some uh, relatives or friends who aren't interested in the prophecy thing and it may take time for you to get their interest in it, if they could just read this to fully embrace what you have to say about faith, um, in just a couple of minutes, I I wondered if you could have a brief comment. Uh, It it seems like uh, uh, when you explained, uh, can you explain your assertion why you think faith does not need to be increased you're here. Here, sometimes people saying, "Lord, increase our faith." Even some biblical characters, and you say that's really not the appropriate way to go. But, but to rather enrich and make our faith more densely fortified. Uh, these are my words. Uh, with a greater knowledge of God's nature and kingdom principles, is, is that the essence of what you were saying? Is yes. Uh, there's so much uh, misunderstanding about what biblical faith is, uh, and people. Uh, being uh, misled into thinking that their fundamental problem is their inability to grow 
their faith as if growth is a metaphysical thing that starts as a seed and grows, 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 bigger, 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 until you get to a certain size, and then, of course, you can move mountains. Well, that is just totally opposite to what our Lord said. He said that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So it's not the size of faith that determines anything. It's the quality of faith. It's, so when the Lord, matter of fact, the disciples on one occasion asked him, said, increase our faith so that we can learn how to forgive somebody 77 times. The Lord said, your problem is not the need for an increase of faith. Your problem is obedience. Right. I told you to forgive people, and it doesn't matter how many times you have to forgive them. You just forgive. But see, he didn't even deal with the issue of whether faith could be increased or not. So it's later on that he goes back and he tells them, so by the way, boys, uh, you know, it doesn't take but a mustard seed size of faith to do any work in the kingdom of God. And so based on that text, that just it just became crystal clear to me that it is not increasing faith that the Lord is describing when he talks about someone having a great faith, but it in fact is what you believe. It's the content that he's talking about. What truth what truth or truths can you bring to bear on a particular situation? What do you know about God and his word that you can bring to bear on a particular situation? And if you bring the right truth to bear on a situation, you will get the product that you so intended. And it's all based on what you know. We could use a whole show on this, yeah. and I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave it. But please, people, get the book. It's worth reading and meditating on. You also talk about... Um, how our lifestyle of wavering and our daily commitment uh, in our actions that are consistent with biblical faith uh, is really much more important than this whole concern about doubt. And I know I'm not uh, really giving that proper justice, but I just ask our listeners to go study that about uh, what is the real concern with doubt versus our concern of consistency in living out what we need to be biblical faith. And uh, just spend a lot of time reading that and studying it. In, in our last minute, I want to ask you a little bit about the pre-wrath conference coming up. Has there been any update on when that is going to be? We initially always have uh, our conference in January, and uh, I was trying to finish up uh, two books, and uh, I simply just didn't have the time to put the conference together. Um, I'm waiting on a response. Um, there are some very exciting things going on in Israel right now relative to the rebuilding of a temple, and one of the directors of the Temple Mount Institute I'd like to have speak at my next conference, and I'm going to build the timing of that around when he can come. So uh, the, those who go to the um, Pre-Wrath Rapture uh, website, prewrathrapture.com, can track along, and, and uh, we'll be making an announcement in plenty of time so people will have opportunity to, to attend if they so desire. Well, right now I plan to be there, if that's okay with you. Well, I want to have you. I want to wow. come and learn more people. Lucky than you. I, well, <laughs> I, wanna, I just want to try to make a commitment in any way possible, uh, Lord willing, uh, to, to be there for that. And I want to encourage my other listeners to go to prereth.com. If you don't mind, uh, uh, Pastor Charles, we're going to put that link on our website right next to where we have your your show stored in our, in our archive. Uh, and, and is that a portal for people to uh, find out how to get your book? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, I, I would love to have you back to talk about 
all sorts of sundry things. Yeah. I, I know you sound like you have a lot of free time only churning out uh, three or four <laughs> books uh, and running the Institute. So if you have a lot of spare time, you can just hang out with us because we have a lot of things we'd like to talk with you about. And we'd like to encourage you when you're there on the computer to uh, plug in some of the archive of Future Quake shows. Yeah. Uh, we, we cover a lot of frontier topics. You just never know to, what you're going to get on this show. It's, yeah, a box of chocolates. We, we have a lot of uh, stuff, what I, we call on the frontiers of prophecy, some call fringe. But there's the things that people don't want to talk about, much like your book. Yeah. Uh, and that's what we try to cover in some of these things. And it may not be the cup of tea, all of them for you or anyone else in our audience, but we'll hardly encourage it. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, gentlemen. I've enjoyed it immensely. Well, I hope you I hope as, you found it. Yeah, I yeah. hope you found it constructive and uh, worthy of your time. And uh, in your busy schedule, we'd sure like to have you back to talk about some details of what's going on in the world today that relate to your to your uh, prophetic studies, if that's okay. Particularly as it relates to a new temple in Jerusalem, I think there are some exciting things happening, and I'd love to keep you up to date on that. That would well, be great. Uh, we've got a new documentary from a uh, brother in our church, Chris Pinto. Uh, if everyone goes to uh, uh, arfilms.com, there's one called The Eye of the Phoenix, and it has some connections to that. I don't want to give away the punchline at the end of it, but uh, he's found some amazing new things, too, that I'd like everybody to check out. And we'll be having him next week on our show. But but uh, uh, Pastor Charles, I want to thank you, and uh, we look forward. We hope this is the beginning of a relationship that can yeah. grow. And uh, if you have any other uh, in your circle uh, that you think would be a good guest for us, we'd certainly like to have them on too and uh, pr promote their research as well. God bless you, and thank you so much for your time with, with us and our audience. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good yeah. evening. Thank you. you. Welcome back to the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. And we don't have much time, but we hope you enjoyed uh, this interview this week with Charles Cooper. Please let us know what you think about it. Uh, his book, uh, uh, Fight, Flight, or Faith, How to Survive the Great Tribulation, uh, I consider that a high priority to read. And I highly recommend it to our listeners. This, it's worth this really influenced you. I, well, I, I read it very quickly uh, for this, but uh, I tell you, I spent up late at night reading it and really drinking in, particularly the segment on faith, the non-prophecy mm, part. Yeah. Uh, I really have a, a newfound really respect for uh, Pastor Cooper. Wow. Thank you. Serve everybody well yeah. to read it. Well, speaking of uh, fighting and flighting or faith, let's bring in Merv. Yeah. Uh, speaking of flighty, uh, Merv, come in here and tell our listeners how to contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. we got to go. You took the words out of my I'm mouth. Sorry. You can say, uh, let's just get out of here. Let's just get out of here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, tomorrow is tomorrow's Trevor's. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Bye. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am a little bit less dramatic and Tom Bionic. <laughs> Always in the search for something different on this end. Uh, today's Friday. 
which means it is time for tomorrow's tremors or today's future review of the news. So close. So close and yet so far. Yeah. Well, what our what our listeners don't know is we uh we had actually started taping this and then we had to stop real quick. And we had just like the best sort of intro part to the futures review news done. But this time I figured I'd humor you a little bit, but Yeah. I I didn't Yeah, you just stymied me last time. Yeah. It's today's review of the futures news. Today's review of the futures news. There you go. It's the first right. time I've ever heard it from your lips All like right. that. Today's review of the futures news. Oh, today's future My. review of the news. I have arrived. I had a dream, and now it's been fulfilled. So, we are. We're going to cover the news today, like mm-hmm. all of you uh, Futurians out there are used to. Mm-hmm. And um, but first, a couple quick, a little quick announcements. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, during the week, we had uploaded the Peter Jones show uh, up on futurequake.com, and it was playing that week. I believe it was like Sunday or Monday, beginning of it. Um, we our website went down, and that was the first time it's ever gone down. We uh, we had some problems with various things, and then got word it was down, and never happened. I was very concerned, and found out from uh, from Yahoo the the host that uh, we had had unprecedented, uh, I guess, increase in traffic, web traffic, people downloading our shows more than what their normal capacity We're was. Hot. I guess we've gone We're viral. Hot. So that's, that's why they had to put us on some kind of special uh, special deal. <laughs> because like we're really hip and in right yeah. now, we're sort of like the dancing baby Woo-hoo! of Christian radio. Yeah. So uh, I want to thank all you out there. Uh, keep trying to overload our circuits as best you can. Yeah, that that is sort of the ultimate compliment, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little bit of problems, but you know what I really liked is during the the Super Bowl when they all held up those signs that read "Future Quake." They all held them up over their head in the stands. Did you see that? <laughs> what Super Bowl are you watching? <laughs> well, I guess maybe, then I woke up. But uh, anyway, I want to tell everybody, so thank you so much for the mm-hmm. growth and popularity. The the downloads of our shows in the last five months have increased about 80%. I know, it's awesome. And I hope we just keep on that uh, that growth path. Uh, we, we really need you all to tell all of your friends, everybody you know, to check out Future Quake. If you're here in the Nashville area mm-hmm. and you're in your car or somewhere by radio at 4 o'clock during the week, tune in on then. Um if anybody else is around their computer, be sure to go to futurequake.com yep. and download them or even download them via iTunes. Tell all your friends about us. I'm sounding like Merv now without the tell voice. Tell all your friends. Tell all your friends and family. Uh, if we can confirm that you brought 10,000 new listeners to Futurequake, then we will get you a free bobblehead. Really? Yeah. Well, and Tom Bionic will write you a big check. Well, no, just the free bobblehead. Well, and it'll bounce in a big way. Oh, they'll definitely bounce, yeah, yeah. if I'm really right. Serious, ladies and gentlemen, 2009, we could be wrong, but it's shaping up to be a year that will be transformational in our lives, mm-hmm. where generations will look look back, if they can look back at the time, out of their cave, mm-hmm. and actually think back to this time as a time when things really changed. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to cover some of the stuff on our show, and particularly put a Christian worldview to it, yep. uh, that the major news media is sweeping under the rug. And some of these stories today yeah. are going to be like that. Does nobody... Uh, Nobody to to date has covered the fact that there has been riot after riot after riot in countries. Greece is still rioting. France is still rioting. Pakistan, they had 20,000 people try to storm the Capitol building a couple of days ago. Several com- countries in the Far East, I've, I've heard. Malaysia, yeah. several other places. Yeah. Are, yeah. Uh, Iceland, is the government does not exist there for all intents and purposes. It's basically dissolved. Yeah. And um, we'd hear nothing from our mainstream media about it. Zero. Let's talk about Michael Phelps and the... Uh, Jessica Simpson. Right, exactly. So that's what we're here for, and we need you to tell 
your friends, your neighbors to listen. And one other little quick announcement before we get to stories mm-hmm. is um, I want to remind people, I've mentioned this maybe briefly before, but Guy Malone, who's been on our show mm-hmm. and arranges the Ancient of Days conferences during the Roswell, New Mexico UFO Festival that brings about 50,000 or so people from around the world that are UFO enthusiasts. And a lot of those people are in the New Age-type religions and things like yeah. that that go there. Uh, he has this uh, Christian conference that talks about UFOs and Bible prophecy. And um, it's an outpost where spiritual warfare goes on and where he is uh, bearing th- uh, fruit. Uh, the Lord is, mm-hmm. is, is uh, working through him and fruit's being born. And he's been so kind to invite me to speak at the conference. And I plan to be there. It's the week of 4th of July. It's July 4th and 5th in Roswell. And uh, I want to invite all our Futurians out there that if you have some flexibility in your schedule in the summer and you'd like to go on sort of an adventure and have sort of a different experience, I have been there to to an early one of these conferences, and it was unforgettable. It is one of the your worldview. Changed my worldview. Yeah, that's all. Just a little thing like that. Mm-hmm. And it was something I will never forget the rest of my life. And it's just a really crazy, funky kind of place. And uh, I highly recommend everybody go if they're just in the mood for having a real adventure. And uh, come on out and support Dr. Future. I'll be uh, giving my talk I gave in Montreal at the UN conference and also be on a board with some other people. Uh, people you know, like Lynn Marzulli will be speaking there, mm-hmm. Michael Heiser. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my names are escaping me, but, but a bunch of other guys who've been on. Joe Jordan, yeah. other people who've been on our show, uh, and Guy Malone will be hosting it. And you can meet those people face-to-face, talk to them face-to-face, show them some Christian support. Uh, they're likely to be non-Christian people that will show up mm-hmm. and uh, try to cause problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, anyway, it's going to be a big blessing. And I think this whole topic, whether you're into the UFO thing or not, and I have to admit, it wasn't something that was like the top thing for me. Mm-hmm. But I keep hearing more and more stories that we have on our thing about it. And there's somebody out there in powerful position that wants to make it a story. Mm-hmm. And so I think it'd be worth your while to, uh, to to talk about that. So if you want if you want to find out more, go to ancientofdays.net, mm-hmm. ancientofdays.net, and you'll find links there to the 2009 conference. And sure. How highly recommend it. Go on and buy some some DVDs from Guy there. He just takes donations for them or whatever you can uh, to donate. The 2005 ones that I have were some of the most amazing talks you'll ever hear. People like David Flynn and, and the other gentlemen we mentioned all, yeah. William Schnoblin and, and others. So mm-hmm. so that's it for my word announcements. You got a story for us? I do. Light on. Uh, I got, I've got a couple of them here. Do, want, do we want to hear about a massive dragnet sweeps up communications metadata? Or do we want to hear about uh, a non-binding resolution that... Uh, uh, We'll go with the non-binding resolution. Yeah. The only thing I suggest is, is some of the fine print on the legal stuff. We might get lost in it, so we sort yeah. of skip to the high well, points. Well, uh, w- one other quick thing as you yeah. get started. I just want to thank also again our uh, our guest, uh, uh, Charles Cooper. Yeah. And I want to thank him this week for being on our show. Yeah. And uh, very interesting. I hope we have him back. So I just want to thank him out there and hope you enjoyed Let us know what you thought about it. Yeah. So let's know the story. Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> I'll give you a little background here. Uh, this is a... Uh, uh, part of the text from the House Concurrent Resolution 6, which is a resolution uh, affirming states' rights, rights based on Jeffersonian principles uh, from the state of New Hampshire. And it was issued, uh, I think, yesterday uh, in the year of our Lord, 2009. <clears throat> I'll just skip down here to the important part. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other states that included recommendations to wit Massachusetts, New York, North Carolina, Rhode Island, and Virginia 
included an identical or similar recommended change that any act by the Congress of the United States, executive order of the President of the United States of America, or judicial order by the judiciaries of the United States of America, which assumes a power not delegated to the government of the United States of America by the Constitution for the United States of America, which serves to diminish the liberty of the, any of the several states or their citizens shall constitute a nullification of the Constitution for the United States of America by the government of the United States of America. Oh, if I heard what you said in all that legalese, mm -hmm. that's bombshell information. If that's You heard right, buddy. If the federal government does something that is perceived to impede the rights of, of people of the states, New that it nullifies the Constitution, the arrangement of the... That's Union what they're saying. States. That's okay. what they're saying. Who filed this? Uh, the state of New Hampshire. The state. So this is what the, the entire state's yeah. saying. Yeah, the state of New Hampshire filed this, and it gets heavier, too. Acts which would cause such a nullification include, but are not limited to, establishing martial law or a state of emergency within one of the states comprising the United States of America without the consent of the legislature of that state, requiring involuntary servitude or governmental service other than a draft during a declared war or pursuant to or as an alternative to incarceration after due process of law, requiring involuntary servitude or governmental service of persons under the age of 18 other than pursuant to or as an alternative to incarceration after due process of law, surrendering any power delegated or not delegated to any corporation or foreign government, any act regarding religion, further limitations on freedom of political speech, or further limitations on freedom of the press, further infringements on the right to keep and bear arms, including prohibitions of type or quantity of arms or ammunition, and that should any act of Congress become law or executive order or judicial order be put into force, all powers previously dele delegated to the United States of America by the Constitution for the United States shall revert to the several states individually. <laughs> That's heavy stuff right there. When was this approved? Yesterday. And this was voted by the entire This was voted on almost unanimously by the entire state legislature of New Hampshire. So they've officially thrown down the gauntlet with our state with You're right. our country. Well, Oklahoma wrote a, a non-binding revolution uh resolution revolution. Yeah, Freudian slip there. Uh, yeah. Um resolution last year saying essentially the same thing but in very in much lightlier toned words right right uh, now this is non-binding so they're not they're not saying they're going to exactly abide by it but we'll just wait till the crazy stuff gets what's going. their if they're not if they're not making it binding then what's the point of doing it um you'll have to ask them i mean if they just showing they're just telling the feds hey this is the sense of our citizens what we feel politics yeah. Poly meaning many, ticks mm. meaning bloodsuckers. Okay. I don't know what I don't know what goes through their minds. I okay. don't know what they're doing. I can't interpret this other other than read the text of the article. It is a non-binding resolution. Mm -hmm. However, they did say some use some pretty strong strong language here in said resolution. Have you seen any uh, feedback from the federal government? You I think it's too early to tell. Okay. I mean, it just got issued. Huh. I think even today. Where'd think, you Where'd you get that from? Where's the story uh, from? New Hampshire. This isn't a story. This is their bill. Okay. Um, where could we find some more? I mean, where did you find that? Bill? I found this. Well, I found this on the New Hampshire website. I heard. Uh, I heard a friend of mine uh, mention it in a telephone call, and I said, "Well, wait a minute. What? What, what are you talking mm -hmm. about?" He said, "Oh yeah, just look up H 
HCR6. And uh, the 2000 mm. HCR6, you'll have to find the 2009 one. Okay. And I looked it up, and I read it, and I went, you got to be kidding me. Wow. wow. And it was just issued, you know, yesterday. That would be very interesting if we had a representative of their... Uh of their mm. legislature on our show. Well, um, after we're done, after we're done calling, after we're done doing the news, let's uh, let's call down to uh, uh, Office B three and have our staff uh, have their staff in call. the future quake building. Yeah, you mean? Yeah, over not not the main, the secondary building. Okay. You know. Yeah, I know on the campus, the yeah. future quake campus. Yes. Uh, and and well, anyway, to to finish this off, that copies of this resolution be transmitted. By the House Clerk to the United to the President of the United States, each member of the United States Congress, and the presiding officers of each state's legislature. So that's what they did to it. And they did. I mean, they as did. far as you know, it's it's in route or have been. Well, delivered. I mean, I haven't. I wasn't there. I'm not, yeah. you know, the UPS guy. But that's a shot heard around the world. Yeah. Yeah. We need to we need to follow up more on that. Another yeah. great story. That's a good one, huh? Yeah. I got sort of boring in comparison. I got well, gosh, I got two two more good ones here too. So well, you better. I mean, I've just got some boring one about. Uh, New FEMA concentration camps for our citizens. <laughs> oh, great. Sorry, I got sort of the boring kind of stuff. Hit me. This is from our old buddy, investigative journalist, Jerome Corsi. Jerry Corsi. Yeah, bud. we got to uh, get him on. Dr. Corsi, I wondered where he'd been lately. Yeah. You know, I hadn't heard What's from him now? in a while since yeah. he'd been detained in Kenya mm-hmm. by thugs that had actually gotten him right. He's walking on stage with the information yeah. in, uh, uh, involving Obama. And the I, thugs in Kenya. That I, fell, was the last I followed it very closely. Yeah, uh, he made it back to tell his story on Hannity and Combs, and of course his, you know, his big crowning achievement in his career is being on Future Quake a number of times. And uh, Kingmakers, he, he's contacted like us Mish. to come back. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the story. Uh, it just came out. Um, uh, it says Bill creates detention camps in U.S. for quote emergencies. Sweeping undefined purpose raises worries about military police state. Uh, Representative Alcee Hastings of Florida has introduced to the House of Representatives a new bill, H.R. 645, calling for the Secretary of Homeland Security to establish no fewer than six national emergency centers for corralling citizens on military installations. The proposed bill, which has received little mainstream media attention, appears designed to create the type of detention center that those concerned about the use of military and domestic affairs fear could be used as concentration camps for political dissidents, such as occurred in Nazi Germany. Mm. The bill also appears to expand the president's emergency power, much as the executive order signed by President Bush on May 9, 2007, uh, that, as WorldNet Daily reported, gave the president the authority to declare an, an emergency and take over the direction of all federal, state, local, territorial, and tribal governments without even consulting Congress. As WorldNet Daily also reported, the Department of Homeland Security has awarded a $385 million contract to a Houston-based KBR, Halliburton's former engineering and construction subsidiary, to build temporary detention centers on an as-needed basis in national emergency situations. According to the text of the proposed bill, the purpose of the national emergency centers is to provide temporary housing, medical and humanitarian assistance to individuals and families dislocated due to an emergency or major disaster. Wow. Three additional... Yeah, I'm sorry. So so what I'm hearing this, if I'm hearing this uh, correctly, this guy's introduced a bill to... uh, Bring about FEMA camps. He's for, a Democrat from Florida. Yeah, for some quote-unquote emergency that is yet undefined. Well, emergency, like, for example, let's say if one of the states passed a resolution saying that if the federal government infringed on their citizens' rights that they could dissolve the union. Mm-hmm. Something like Just that. like if something crazy like that happened. Crazy. 
they could call that an emergency and mm-hmm. lock people up. Wow. Three additional purposes are specified in the text of the proposed legislation. To provide centralized locations for the purposes of training and ensuring the coordination of federal, state, and local first responders. Mm-hmm. To provide centralized locations to improve the coordination of preparedness, response, and recovery efforts of government, private, not-for-profit entities, and faith-based organizations. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when the, the pastors were given those books to preach oh, yeah. about Romans, to tell people to give yeah, them to the yeah, government, yeah, the do what the government says. Yeah, yeah, the response teams, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and then to meet other appropriate needs as defined by the Secretary of Homeland Security, which means anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's not. Yeah, there's nothing binding on that, really. The bro- yeah, I mean, yeah. basically, whatever you want to do. The yeah. broad specifications of the bill's language, however, contribute to concern that the national emergency purpose could be utilized by the Secretary of Homeland Security to include any kind of situation the government wants to contain or otherwise control. Hmm. Representative Hastings created controversy during the 2008 presidential campaign with his provocative comments regarding Republican vice presidential candidate Sarah Palin. He, he said, uh, if Sarah Palin isn't enough of a reason for you to get whatever your problem, get over whatever your problem is with Barack Obama, then you blank, uh, well, better pay attention, Hastings said, reported by ABC News. Anybody toting guns and stripping moose don't care too much about what they do with Jews and blacks. So, you just think this through. What? Yeah, this is a congressman. <laughs> what? what the heck is he talking about? A voted-in congressman saying that if you would support Sarah Palin, that, you know, that's like, uh, you know, people that's that... Like, uh, like, that's like, well, he's saying... Threatening that, Jews and blacks. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, he's and he's making a making a reference to being her being a Nazi. Well, I can't ever remember her threatening Jews and blacks. Do you remember I don't, that? I don't, I don't recall that. that. See, typically, Nazism is part of the, is part of the wing of socialism. Uh, it's right. just, uh, you know, where, where. For national socialists. Yeah, yeah, where right. the government joins with corporations, mm-hmm. really. So that right. doesn't. Yeah. Well, H.R. 645, the resolution, which seeks to allocate $360 million for developing the emergency centers, has been referred to the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure and to the Committee on Armed Services. Wow. So I recommend that all of you listeners out there send a note. Well, first of all, look that up to verify that on your own computer. It's House Resolution, when I say 645. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you did drop, come up big. You, I was all, I thought you were going to have something kind of goofy. Well, that was, thank you. That was uh, drop, drop a note to your congressmen, your senators, and ask them to explain that and what are they doing about it. Wow. And that they, everybody who could have a say there in Washington is accountable for what happens with that. Yeah. So, um, and, and we were just saying in the beginning of the show about there's riots all over the world right now due uh-huh. to economic duress mm-hmm. and similar reasons. Um, that's all they need to be able to invoke this. And a few weeks ago, we read about how Patton, mm-hmm. you know, had his directives in the military, what they had established about having no problems with uh, taking uh, bayonets to fellow citizens, yep. even innocent parties, they say, until mm-hmm. they understand the what's going on with innocent parties. Wow. So, anyway, as we say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. That's heavy. Yeah. Okay, you got something? Yeah. This one, this one comes from the DailyTech.com. Uh, a massive dragnet sweeps up communications, metadata, and financial records while targets have all of their communications recorded. Okay. In a scenario that sounds like the ramblings of a con- crazy conspiracy theorist, former NSA analysts and now whistleblower Russell Tice unveiled a massive NSA spying and wiretap program, which he claims vacuumed up uh, astonishing amounts of communication and financial data on journalists and innocent America. Now, here's some guy. We've mm. reported on this in the past. Mm-hmm. Here's some guy that worked there at the program 
said, this is what I did. Here's my NSA badge. This is exactly what mm-hmm. people were doing. And so now it's... They were spying on journalists and other kind of yeah, people. So, like so now it's undeniable at okay. this point. There's no, no more denying it. Uh, the program, which he claims is a remnant of the defunded 2003 Total Information Awareness Initiative, swept up metadata call links, envelope information, and so on, on nearly all forms of communications in the United States, as well as full communication logs for targets selected through their analysis and other methods. Um, It didn't matter whether you were in Kansas, in the middle of the country, and you never made foreign communications at all. They monitored all communications. Uh, The interesting thing here is uh, he talks about about, uh, uh, how they got all this stuff to, to work together here. Uh, he says, I started to investigate that, uh, which is the, the NSA being a 24-7, 365 days a year uh, monitoring mm-hmm. company. Uh, and uh, he said, this bait and switch idea, this this is the discard pile and we're not to look at the media, uh, where it becomes apparent that you discard that to you that the discard pile is in fact the save pile. How did that become apparent to you, asked Keith Olbermann. And, and here's Ty saying, well, as I was going for, for support for a particular organization, and it sort of was dropped to me that, you know, this is done 24-7, uh, i.e. spying mm-hmm. uh, on American citizens, replied Ty. So I would say, I need collection at this time, at this point for a window of time. And I would say, uh, we will, will we have the capability at this particular point in positioning assets? And I was ultimately told, we don't have to worry about that because we've got it covered all the time. That's when it clicked in my head that this was not being on, being done on a on a one side basis. This is something that's happening all the time. In a follow up interview aired Thursday, Trice revealed that the communications data was then married in with financial records and credit card transactions. So get, mm-hmm. they're getting you know literally dossiers on everybody. Um, it's it's mm. uh, wow. It's heavy. It's heavy. Wow. And then he goes on wow. to talk about. Um, he goes on to talk about one of the things that could be done was that you could take something that was part of the Department of Defense and make it part of the intelligence community and put a caveat to that. Then you could make whatever the intelligence community is doing to, for support will ultimately be giving a different caveat. Uh, when the defense committees on the Hill come calling, you say, you can't look at that because that's an intelligence program. But when the intelligence pro program comes calling, you say, you can't look at that because it's a DOD program. Basically, they have infinite number of games at their disposal to stymie mm-hmm. any kind of review of what they do. Yeah, it's just a shell game. where they And they're the groups that run the country mm-hmm. and run things. We go into a charade of elected officials. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and let's not forget uh, old, uh, who we've brought up several times, Michael Aquino, who's mm-hmm. the uh, head head of the Temple of Set, uh, mm-hmm. you know, revered Satanist running the NSA. Wow. Yeah. And the only thing I know to do is to starve them out of money, to get them mm-hmm. out of power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got to stop them selling the drugs that they sell to run the black programs. Well, it's interesting It's interesting to mention, to think about the uh, defunded thing here. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Tice here talks about this being a remnant of the defunded 2003 Total Information Awareness Initiative. Mm. But it's still going. And how? <laughs> How? how so? How do they do that? If if what he says is true, how do they get money? It's still going. Who knows? Okay, I'm moving. The, Ask on. your congressman, people. Can I end in just like the last minute happy on a note. little? Happy I note. want a happy, but but a <laughs> different note. 
Family spat divides televangelism empire. Great. Hour of power church struggling due to recession change in leadership. And this is in Garden Grove. Mm-hmm. One of the most popular televangelists in the U.S., the Reverend Robert H. Schuler, is watching his life work crumble. His son and recent successor, uh, Robert A. Schuler, has abruptly resigned as senior pastor of the Crystal Cathedral, the uh, glass-walled megachurch, home of the Hour of Power. Uh, the church is in financial turmoil. It plans to sell more than $65 million worth of its property to pay off debt. Uh, revenue dropped by $5 million this year. Uh, in the letter that he sent to elite donors, he implored the Eagle Club members, who supply 30% of the church's revenue, for donations and hinted the show might go off the air without their support. Final months of 2008 were devastating for our ministry. Hmm. Uh, but actually, um, uh, it's clear that the elder Schuler's carefully or, uh, orchestrated leadership transition plan over a decade has stumbled badly. And, and uh, bottom line is, is that his son, uh, he, he yanked his own son off the air. He Bummer. yanked him off the air where he Oops. can't be on there. And now his son has resigned because supposedly his son is reading too much scripture. He's taking approach where he's focusing too much on that, which is never a hallmark of Robert Schuler Sr. No. No. I wish we could talk about it more, but we need yeah. to bring Merv in. Yeah, let's get out of here. Okay, speaking of televangelists, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how they can find out about Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're like 10-second world. Dulcet voice, love him. We're out of here. Bye. Come back next week. An incredible guest next week. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. There are new dreams crowding out old realities. There's revolution sweeping it like a fresh new breeze.